Hey everyone, you are listening to the Divergent Conversations podcast. We are two neurodivergent mental health professionals in a neurotypical world. I'm Patrick Cassell. And I'm Dr. Neff. And during these episodes, we do talk about sensitive subjects, mental health, and there are some conversations that can certainly feel a bit overwhelming. So we do just want to use that disclosure and disclaimer before jumping in. And thanks for listening. Good morning, Patrick. Good afternoon, Megan. Isn't that funny? It's your afternoon. It's my morning. I know. It is. It was It was actually like a perspective shift moment. I was like, should I say good afternoon because it's Patrick's afternoon? Or should I say good morning because it's my morning? Whose subjectivity are we going with here? I, I like that. And I think it's important for everyone to know that, you know, you're in Pacific time and I'm in Eastern time. So a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a different experience. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not going to ask you how you are because I hate that question, but, um, I am curious, like what kind of headspace you're coming into today's episode with. I like that you name that you hate that question because you've told me you hate that so, question so many times so that many I times. know, I no longer ask it though. Yeah, I don't do I it. Say, like it, I, I had to train you a little bit, but like it worked. I also I am, like, not doing that with friends or uh family <laughs> or, you know, so I, anyone who's listening, I owe that all to Megan. <laughs> You're so welcome. There you the go. One, That's your gift today. We're autistic friendly now because Patrick has stopped asking, how are you? Yeah. I've also really tried hard to like filter my emails through an autistic lens and no longer like, unless I absolutely feel like, oh, I really want to pitch this thing and it has to come across this way. Mm. I've really tried to shift that. Um, what kind of headspace am I in today? I feel actually pretty good. I am tired, like physically tired. I sent you that really gnarly bruise on my, my calf. I feel like my whole body feels like that right now. Um, I'm, I noticed like I have a retreat that I'm hosting next week. So I have been in like hibernation mode most of the last couple of weeks, just trying to like charge as much of my battery as I can. And right now I, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? Um, let's see. Okay. I'll start with the sensory. Cause I often start with that. I'm having like a high sensory day of like, it's so interesting how these things ebb and flow. Like I want someone to wrap me up really tight in a blanket and like, I want all the pressure and all the weight. Like last night, my husband came in and he was like, are you wearing two beanies? And I like, I had two beanies on my head. I love the pressure of beanies on my head. That's why I wear a beanie like all year round. Um, so I'm having like a high, like, I just want a lot of pressure on me. Um, headspace wise, uh, like tired, but then boppy, like so many thoughts bopping around, which, and that's always interesting when that's overlaying on top of like tired, but energetic. Um, and then, yeah, we're leaving for Canada next week and I've got a workbook to finish. Um, this is such an autistic thing. I, because I'm also doing a manuscript. So I intentionally was like, I'm going to make a really simple workbook this month. It's going to be a gratitude journal. I'll introduce gratitude in five pages. It'll be a 35 page thing. Do you want to know how many pages it is? I want to guess, but I feel like it's at least like 90. Yeah. It's 127. I, I don't know how to do simple. Like it just grows and it grows and it grows. Um, and my husband, he used to be an English teacher. So he like edits these for me and he's like, yeah, we, I just know this about you. Like you can't do simple. (laughs) That's the second week in a row where you've kind of mentioned 
um, well, maybe you mentioned it to me through text that just the understanding that he has of your processing. I, mm. I love that for both of you mm-hmm. uh, to say, like, I know this about you now. Like, this is just something, this is a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You say you're going to make a 30 page workbook and it's 120. That's, that's you. That's your brain. And I'm going to edit 130 pages. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, it's a united front. So that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's wonderful. Um, and super helpful because grammar and spelling is not my thing. <laughs> um, okay. So we talked about talking about kind of continuing the conversation. Um, wait, did I just abruptly transition us too quickly? Do you have, I feel good about it. Yeah. I had like, I a, feel very grounded today. Of I'm like, like a, a lot of my days where I'm like scattered and I feel pretty centered right now. Okay. Yeah. I did Dean go off in my head. Like this is interesting, but our listeners might want us to get to the point. Um, true. So yeah, we talked, I really loved the conversation we had with Mel last week. I think both of us walked away with like, wow, that was so um, impactful and interesting. And there's so much to dive into here. And it got me thinking about some of my experiences medically and especially experiences around self-disclosure. And I know this is a really tricky subject around um, if, if you're in a position where you have the option, if you're going to self-disclose or not, not everyone has that option. Like if you are diagnosed as a child, it's in your medical record. Um, but for those of us coming at this in adulthood, we sometimes have the option. Do I self-disclose and navigating medical appointments? Like that's a really vulnerable thing. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, and I think for a lot of autistic people, just walking into a medical office, our anxiety like shoots up. And then to talk about disclosing on top of that, like it's just a lot. So I thought it'd be interesting to have a conversation around like self-disclosure navigating medical systems. Yeah. Uh, one, I just want to say that I feel like if you are listening right now and you listen to last week's episode, my mind was like blown throughout that conversation where I was learning so much, not only about myself, but what a, what a just incredibly helpful conversation all around. I've already told so many friends to listen to that episode. Cause I was like, this is so good. Um, we haven't even released it yet. So <laughs> as I'm tracking what I'm saying, most of you who are listening are like, Oh, this is happening in real time. And we have a queue of episodes. Um, That's why last week you were like, can, can we bump this up? I'm can just like so excited. It was so good. Um, yeah. So the self-disclosure piece is interesting and you're right. Like for those of you who are diagnosed as a child, it feels like that autonomy was kind of taken away from you. Like you don't have the option to say yes or no. I want to, I want to put this into my record. And I think it's interesting because if you don't have a good, relationship and rapport with your PCP or whichever provider it is, it's, I think it's daunting and, and intimidating and even more anxiety producing to even consider disclosure because we know that diagnoses follow our medical records. Like these are things that are charted. These are things if you're using your health insurance, like they're going to follow you. And that can have an impact in a lot of ways. Like even when you're looking for potential life insurance options, like things like that. My, my last life insurance update and exam, I got denied increased uh, coverage because of my throat condition and my autistic diagnosis. Both of those things were notated in my request to increase my coverage. Really? Okay. So I've like heard stories about this, but I, so you actually had that happen. 
Yeah. So, and you wanted to increase life insurance to like, so if you die more and they, they were like, no. Yep. Yep. I wanted to increase for my wife, you know, cause I'm yeah. like, okay, yeah. I'm in a position now where financially yeah. I'm making more money than I was when I first did this. And I want to make sure she's okay. Did all the tests, did all the medical tests. And they don't really give you a whole lot to go off of other than like, Hey, it was rejected. Here are the comments. And the comments are, Zenker's diverticulum, which is the throat condition that I have, and autism. And I thought, huh, well, that yeah. feels uh, pretty shitty. Now I don't feel like yeah. I will ever pursue this option again. And I think that is also something to consider when we're talking about disclosure and diagnosis. Yeah. I mean, these are some of the concerns I hear. Like there's kind of like five big concerns, but one like um, life insurance, but then also being denied like insurance if you're trying to, and I, I should also add like we're speaking in the u.s context i'm sure yeah some of these things would apply internationally but uh, obviously like insurance in the u.s is just a hot mess um so so some of this might not apply internationally but it's a great point because i know that we actually have so many people who are tuning in consistently from the uk ireland and australia and canada so one thank you and two yeah your health care systems are a bit different than ours yeah, that's actually why I'm going to Canada next month. Just testing it out. See, actually, wait, no, I couldn't move to Canada. Like, I'm pretty sure that's one of the countries. So that's another part of having it part of your medical record. Is there some countries you can't migrate to? It's really fascinating because you're not thinking, you're not always thinking about this in the moment when you're in the doctor's office, right? Because there is yeah. anxiety, like you mentioned, and you're nervous about whatever you're there for and potentially just the sensory overwhelm and Maybe, and if you're using health insurance in the United States and that is a part of your record, you don't really have a choice of whether you want to disclose or not. But we're talking really about the autonomy of saying, I did this testing, self, whether it's self-diagnosis or whether it is from a testing result. And I have the ability to, to let my provider know this because it could be helpful for them to then conceptualize my uh, medical conditions and, and struggles through this lens. But then- <laughs> That's a whole nother like nuanced conversation, right? Because that provider really has to be really MD affirming too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what are they? And I think that's, that's definitely my anxiety is like, what are their associations going to be when I say I'm autistic? Are they going to think like, there's so many worries, right? So there's like the assumptions I think they might put on me uh, on one hand, and like, are they going to start talking to me? Like I have an intellectual disability, which that's a common experience because people don't often realize, um, like in mainstream people don't always realize that an intellectual disability and autism are separate. There is a higher rate of co-occurrence, at least among diagnosed autistic people. Right. So they can co-occur. Um, and typically that's when we're talking about level three or level two autism, level one autism is which you and I were diagnosed with, um, is autism without a co-occurring intellectual disability. Um, it's not that simplified. I'm simplifying it a little bit. Um, but so one, it's like, are, is, are they going to start making those assumptions um, and either start talking loudly or start, you know, th these things, or on the other hand, are they going to think I'm full of shit? And like, no, you're not autistic. Like here you are, we're having a fluid conversation so both of those, like, those are kind of the two sides of the road of the two fears I have when I'm disclosing to anyone, but especially to medical providers, knowing that the medical field is pretty far behind on the research. 
And I mean, let's take that a step further. Like we talked about last week, the mental health field is still behind. Oh, so, the, yeah. When I say med- medical, I also, I'm including mental health field in that for sure. Got it. I never yeah. know with like psychology because psychologists, there's so much overlap and interwoven like medical and mental health. And I know they go hand in hand, but I think so much of our country feels like medical and mental health are separate. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. I worked in hospitals for so long that in my head, it's like, yeah. And it's I totally like most mental health professionals hopefully understand there's a holistic picture of health here where medical and mental health go hand in hand. And I know, but there's an archaic version of like, what it's like to be autistic in the mental health community. So when I think about the medical community, I think about it even as more archaic and more sterile and a way of like saying, is it safe for me to openly disclose this information in this environment? And some of you that are listening may have had the same provider for a long period of time because you feel comfortable with them. So then it's like, do I disclose this part of myself that's so important knowing that there could be repercussion or knowing that there could be a reaction that really doesn't feel affirming to me or supportive mm-hmm. or safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of like outside of medical, right? That's just part of self-disclosure. And I, like when I, I work with a lot of people in the first, like, you know, year post-discovery and so spend a bit of time talking about self-disclosure and like a few things, like tips I give people is one, like be really comfortable with this in yourself before you start disclosing it. Because uh, like often we will get responses that either uh, make us like activate our imposter syndrome around the diagnosis or just make us feel like really, like really bad about ourselves. Like it, sometimes it's a really positive experience and I love those moments, but often there's a lot of painful interactions that come with self-disclosure. So one of the pieces of advice I give people is like, be so comfortable with this on your own so that if you get, or when you get those negative responses, it's not going to shake you to the core in the same way. That's great advice. I think that's really important because the more you can openly talk about this stuff, the more you can openly put this out into the world. I do think it gets easier, but that also comes with inherent risk. And I think that's why I've tried so hard to just openly talk about it over and over and over again, not just for myself, but for people who cannot. And I, I just, you know, I was talking last week on the episode that we did with Mel um, about talking to my PCP about autism and sleep and sleep struggle. And I, I really appreciated their reaction, which was, which I don't think is like the norm where they were just like, oh, you're autistic. Okay, cool. Like, how do you want me to, is there anything you want to send me? Is there anything you want me to learn about? Is there anything that you feel like is really that is so cool. And I was like, wow. I was blown away by that. I was just like, but I don't think that's the norm. In that terms is not of the reaction. norm. Like, and first of all, like what PCP has time for that? Right. Um, I will that's say that problem. was my, my psychologist response. And I mean, psychologists, they're still very busy, but their caseload, you know, PCPs have like their panel was like 2000 or more patients, right? Like there's a lot of patients they're interfacing with. Um, but my psychologist had a similar response when I brought up autism and like, I of course sent him so many resources because <laughs> autistic brain. And like, it was really cool. He, he met me in that and was like willing to learn and curious about it. And, um, I think it's influenced him as a psychologist with other, other p- patients, which is really meaningful. So that's, that's really incredible. Whenever you find a therapist or a medical provider, who's like, okay, I'm curious, tell me more. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think this conversation can be both uh, discussed around not just the medical staff, but also mental health staff. So your therapist, I mean, we've talked on here about disclosing to your therapist and having such negative reactions in that field where people are told then, oh, I'm not comfortable supporting or I don't feel like I have enough training or I have to refer you right. out. And that's a fear too, because that brings up so much abandonment and shame of like, there's something really wrong with me where this person cannot help me or support me. And um, I've mentioned my own therapist on here many times, and I know she listens to this podcast, but again, another shout out to someone who's affirming, who's like, send me podcast episodes, send me like <laughs> clips of what you and Megan are talking about when you feel like it's really important for our sessions, because then it helps me better understand your world. But I really wish that we had more providers who who were really interested in learning and, and really supportive and affirmative. And I, I just feel like we don't, I think we're missing the mark a lot of the time. Yeah. 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 Um, can I shift conversation a bit to talk about like self-disclosure yep. experiences? Totally. Um, so I've had, it's interesting. I feel like actually, well, I've, you know, I've been talking about on the podcast. I've been sick for like two or three months now. I finally, like my lungs finally feel okay for the first time in three months, which is great, but it means I've been, I've also been to the doctor more. Um, and so I've, I've self-disclosed three different times to different medical providers. It's not, it's not in my medical chart. So I was diagnosed by a private psychologist. And then I, I have Kaiser, which is like a real, it's a really big, um, kind of in, inclusive, it's an insurance company, but also hospitals. And I haven't like add, had it added to my medical record. Um, so, so the most recent one I had was actually last week. It was the dentist. I hate the dentist. I think most autistic people do. And between COVID and the dentist, I actually haven't, and hated it. I haven't been in three years. And I didn't realize it was that long. So I had a cleaning and um, they were doing it because it had been so long. Um, there's more buildup and they were using a, like a scraping machine. And I, there was a high frequency sound that was piercing in my inner ear. And like, I was obviously in pain and, and he was the, the hygienist was asking me like, are, are you in pain? And I was able to disclose, like, I have sensory issues and I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of pain. And so then we kind of tried some things and I was so impressed with his response. And I want to note, this was a partial self-disclosure. And I'm a really big fan of talking about, okay, you can do a full self-disclosure. I'm autistic, I'm ADHD, but you can also do partial self-disclosures. Like I have sensory issues or I have a sensory processing disorder. Um, so I used a partial self-disclosure and he was incredible throughout the rest of it. And he was like, Hey, just let us know next time you're in that you've got sensory processing, um, the other thing he mentioned though, he's like, I've been doing this eight years and I've never seen this. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sure you have, but people probably aren't seeing anything when they go in, they're probably disassociating through it or they're not going in like me. Right. Um, but that would be an example of a partial self-disclosure and it went well. That's great. I mean, especially in an environment where like, I don't know anyone who enjoys going to the dentist and then right. you take it a step further with someone who is autistic or someone who has any sort of sensory uh, processing disorder, it's a horrible experience. And for them to recognize that you were in pain and then to help navigate through that, I, I imagine going back will feel maybe a little bit more comfortable the next time. 
I'm totally going to go to back specifically to that provider. Um, and yeah, it makes it way more likely. Like I'm, I, I think I mentioned that on the episode last year, like I have a medical avoidance, which is really unhelpful when you've got like chronic medical stuff going on, but it makes me way more likely to go back, um, and to kind of stay on my normal six month schedule that, you know, is healthy. Uh, yeah, I think the ability to, fe- it probably feels like feeling seen and feeling validated, like instead of saying like, you're making this up, this, this shouldn't be painful or just completely dismissing the experience that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it shifted to a really collaborative. He's like, do you want to like push your ear in? And like, that did help. And then he's like, do you want to stop? And I, I kind of made the choice of like, I'd rather get the buildup off and like, right not to do that again. Um, but just having it be a collaborative decision, like, and having my autonomy kind of centered in that experience was was incredibly helpful. It sounds incredibly helpful. And I, I I think about like someone had asked us, um, on our Instagram to do an episode on like autism and chronic pain and the correlation, Mm -hmm. which I think is a good idea for sure. Um, and I'm in chronic pain all the time. Like I've had significant back issues for the last decade. I'm tall. I play soccer. I've been injured. uh, And it's just, I think that pain feeling like there's an increasing sense of chronic pain and sensation too. And a lot of providers can really dismiss that as if like, or, or minimize that experience. And I think that can feel so frustrating to want to pursue another, um, appointment or to circle back or to do a follow-up because it's like, I, I can't even really have my experience validated and feel like it's really um, feeling supported and seen. And that doesn't make me want to, to do another Absolutely. appointment. Well, I just live with the pain. Uh, sorry, I cut you off. No, that's okay. Um, well, and that, so if you think about chronic pain and especially autistic ADHDers, like I think part of what can be the medical avoidance is we know how we're being perceived. Like we're being perceived as like pill seekers, right? Like, so we're talking about ADHD medication. Like I had a provider just a couple of weeks ago be like, oh, well now we're talking about controlled substances. And so like, and like, it was just so stigmatizing the way she talked to me about ADHD medication. Um, and then chronic pain, right? Pain medication. This is another one that like gets really stigmatized so if we're an autistic ADHD or in chronic pain, seeking medication to support us, um, the way, like, I think we know how we can be perceived, which is not a great, yeah. Well, the not- narrative's already been written, right? If you're going in as an autistic ADHD or on a controlled substance for your ADHD medication mm-hmm. and you're in chronic pain and the quick review of the chart is like, it, you know, we have systems in place in this country that highlight like whether or not someone's on a controlled substance so that yeah. you're not going yeah. from provider to provider. And that immediately pops up and mm-hmm. you're talking about chronic pain issues. There can definitely be this immediate, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, perception that you are med seeking, that you're like, okay, I, this person's on a controlled med for ADHD. Now they're in here for pain issues, looking for something that's going to help alleviate this. This mm-hmm. is something that we now have to talk about first and foremost, opposed to like saying, Hey, here's the experience. This is what we're going to yeah. do to support you through it. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got 20 minutes. And if you spend like m- most medical visits are like 20 minutes and if you spend 10 minutes, like convincing the doctor why you 
actually are going to use these medications responsibly and 10 minutes to talk about the complex medical stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and it makes sense why so many people, like you mentioned, have medical avoidance or just have to dissociate or are just struggling with their bodies and how they're experiencing uh, everyday life and just feeling like that's the better alternative because I don't have a provider that I can go to comfortably and really speak about my experience. And, and this is a whole nother conversation like we talked about last week where we could talk about the medical system and all its flaws for days. So like if you're a medical professional and you only have 15 minutes with a patient and you have to get all of this information, there's so many areas where that can just fall through the cracks or be missed or, or completely just not even discussed or avoided. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is why medical providers are experiencing moral injury at such high rates. This isn't what they signed up for. No, they, they wanted to help people. That's why most physicians go into the field. You're seeing a lot of physicians move into these models that are like membership based mm -hmm. where they are seeing fewer clients and you have a monthly membership fee and it's actually can be quite affordable. And that's actually the model that I'm involved in here. I think it's like $70 a month and I can see my physician and PCP at any time. We have like messaging software, very available and I have health insurance. I don't have to go into that model. So I'm very lucky and privileged to be able to say that. But like, I would rather opt for that model than have to use my health insurance and just find someone who takes Blue Cross Blue Shield and then see if they're a good fit. So do you, but so then do you pay out of pocket for your medical visits? Yeah, no, it's just, it's all inclusive in that price. Huh. Like $70 a month includes like as many medical visits as I want to have with this person. Wait, how do they, like from a business model, how does that work? That doesn't seem sustainable. Well, you got to think like if they have 500 patients and I have no idea how many people, how yeah. many patients this practice has and everyone's paying $70 a month, what are the, what's the likelihood that all 500 of those people are coming in on a monthly basis? The, the odds are quite low. So hmm. you're, you're making consistent revenue and then you're becoming more accessible and available because you're seeing fewer patients. And I love that model. And I think a lot of practices are starting to do that, but for people who do not have the ability to go to something that's more tailored, more catered, have more time with your provider, like it's it's a struggle, right? Like a, a yearly annual physical that takes an hour's time and you sit in the waiting room for three hours and you're frustrated and overwhelmed the whole time. It's not a good experience. Well, and the body boundaries. I think that, I mean, I don't even know the last time I had a physical. I actually don't have a PCP. It's on my to-do list. My PCP retired in like 2020 and I just haven't gotten a new one. Um, I definitely should do that. <laughs> this podcast is going to hold you accountable. To I that. know. I really, I, it's on my to-do list. It's, it's on my, like, those are the things that that's where I really feel my ADHD is things like that, where it's like, that's been on my to-do list for a long time. Going to the dentist was on my to-do list a long time. That's where it's medical stuff. And like just that daily life stuff where I, I really struggle to get myself to just do it. Um, but yeah, the body boundaries aspect of like having a physical or like that is always really hard for me about going to the doctor. Yeah. Absolutely. That makes, that makes total sense. And then having to reestablish with someone new, mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot of challenges here. So we're talking about a lot of barriers and I'm realizing that as we're talking, like, uh huh. yeah, what I don't want to do is say like, 
the system is broken and we're all screwed. Like that's, that's certainly not. And I feel like we do that a lot on our podcast. Um, And I'm like being mindful of that of, and I'm seeing this on social media and like, I'm seeing this in spaces and I'm really, I'm feeling this too. Like a lot of the education or posts that are out there um, are around educating about what's hard for us. And I think that's absolutely important. And, and I actually think like, if you think about the discovery process on like a developmental arc, I think the first process is like identifying, oh, these barriers I experienced, they're connected to autism or they're connected to ADHD, but right. we have to move beyond that. We have to move on to like, um, hope is such a loaded word. So I, I don't exactly want to use the word hope, but to things that are really pragmatic and helpful and like, okay, so these are the barriers and here's what to do about it. Um, so I'm feeling that like, I'm feeling that in general with the like kind of autistic ADHD narrative virgin affirming world, but I'm also feeling it in our podcast of like, okay, I don't want to be yet another voice just talking about how hard our lives are. <laughs> Yeah, it's a hard thing to navigate. And you're so right, like, because our lives are hard. So we don't want to dismiss that. Yeah, we want to honor that. And we want to move the conversation beyond that. Absolutely. What can we do in this situation when we're talking about the stigma of self-disclosure in medical and mental health spaces? And what can we do to ensure that we're taking care of ourselves and our physical needs and our, our mental health needs too, in a way where we maybe it's not filled with like complete and utter dread all the time. Yeah. 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 Should we kind of shift our conversation and our energy to talk about like, what are some things people can consider doing? I think so. I mean, uh, we could highlight the the other side of the coin all day. It feels like, and I think yeah. maybe we default to that cynical meant uh, outlook because we're so used to yeah. living in a neurotypical world that yeah. isn't always set up for us. It's important, like it's so important to talk about, and it it feels easier in some ways to talk about that than to talk about okay, now what do I do about it? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think when we're talking about like how do we've we've talked about how to seek out neurodivergent affirmative mental health spaces, like that's pretty clear and cut and dry. And I think it gets a little bit more challenging when we're talking about medical spaces because. Sometimes you kind of feel like you get what you get and hundred percent. Yeah. You don't have the autonomy of choice all the time, especially if you're in like a small rural area or health insurance isn't great or whatever. So I do think we have to figure out strategies in terms of how do you ensure that you're, you're mentioning, like Megan said, like that there is some sensory, you know, sensitivity or struggle. How do you mention that? you know, I, I struggle to sit in a waiting room. That's really brightly lit. Like, these are the conversations that need to be had, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is one of the hard, at least in the US, one of the hard things. It often takes a visit with a provider before you you really know. Like I will always go on the directories and read their bios, but even then it's like, it, it's after the experience. Um, but grabbing the provider, when you do have a positive experience, run, grab it. I'm like that dental hygienist. Like I, you know, wrote down the name and I'm like, I will schedule with him forever. Same thing with, I recently, recently met with a, um, OBGYN provider who was incredible. And I, I disclosed I was autistic and I, that conversation went well. Um, and I asked her then I was like, I, how do I make you like my primary doctor for, for 
for OBGYN care. Um, so whenever you do have a positive experience, like figuring out how to grab that provider and getting like on that. their panel. Um, that's a great point though. Like when you do have a positive experience, asking that question and feeling, trying to feel comfortable as possible to say, how can I ensure that when I come here, you're the person that I see, you're the person that I have contact with. I think that's a great step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I imagine if that hygienist leaves that dental practice and you find that out, you're going to follow that person to another dental practice because of the comfortability and the, and the ability to feel supported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that gets back to like another, I guess, tip would be thinking through your, like, what are your primary needs? And then pairing your disclosure to that. So if you're someone who hasn't disclosed, if it's not in your medical record and you don't want to disclose that, especially there's a lot of trans people right now who, um, disclosing that can have implications for gender affirming care. So that I know, especially in the trans and gender queer community, this is like a really key topic right now. So there might be reasons you don't want to fully disclose. Um, so thinking through, okay, what do I need in a medical visit? So yeah, for me, sensory stuff for me, it's really important. My OBGYN knew I had sensory issues. It was really important. My dental hygienist knew I had sensory issues. Um, so I paired my self-disclosure to that need. Um, actually for the, for the OBGYN, I, d- I did a full self-disclosure because, uh, because females are more prone to a lot of endocrine stuff. I, I wanted her to know that. Um, so again, it was paired to my need. What am I trying to accomplish here? And then tailoring my self-disclosure to meet that need. Right. That's, that's a really great point. So what I hear you saying is like in these moments, you have to be intentional. And it doesn't always have to be the first time I meet this person, I tell them everything. Um, mm-hmm. Getting really comfortable with the the provider and then deciding whether or not, what is the purpose behind this, this disclosure? What is this going to, how is this going to best serve me? And I think that's important because you want to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want to get your needs net and it's a, it's a really effective, like it's a, it's a good effective communication tool in general. It comes from nonviolent communication theory, like express the underlying need and then make a request. Right. So it's basically practicing nonviolent communication. Um, so another one that I, I see a lot being helpful, especially for ADHDers, my, a part, like an ADHD, I feel like that tends to be in the medical record because many of us are on medication for it. Um, but it could be like, I struggle with attention and remembering, um, like my working memories is poor, especially when I'm anxious or like in a medical setting, you won't have to have that part, but just struggle with focus. Is it okay if I audio record your feedback to me, or if I audio record part of our visit today, that's a super helpful one because we're often, again, those 20 minutes are fast. And we're often talking about complex medical things that aren't going to stick in our head, especially if like, if there's a lot of medical language that can be overwhelming. So being able to audio record, um, a session is one accommodation I I find being really helpful for a lot of folks. That's another great tip. Another thing that I've done that I've found useful is sometimes writing down a list of questions before you go into a visit or things that are on your mind that are causing you anxiety that you would like to have addressed. So it doesn't feel like you're just sitting in this appointment and it's like, oh my God, I, I feel really overwhelmed and I don't even get to ask the things that are important to me or bring them up. Um, scheduling wise, asking for reminders, making sure that you are 
opting into reminder texts or calls or emails so that it can help you get yourself um, oriented, especially if your executive functioning is really struggling in that way. Um, I find that to be really important for appointment reminders and just ensuring that you have something on your calendar to defer to or however you like to visualize what your week and month looks like. I think that also helps quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, especially if, you know, most of us, most of us have met like complex medical stuff going on. So I love that idea of like writing things down ahead of time. I'll often even tell people like, what are the top two or top three things you really want to talk about in the medical visit? Knowing like if you have a list of eight things, you're not going to get to it in, in, um, in 20 minutes. And because like prioritization can be hard for us. And then again, if we're anxious and kind of in a fight flight or freeze state, we're, we're not going to be effective in our self-advocacy. So thinking through ahead of time, okay, these three things I really want to talk about. And I'm even going to script out like what I'm going to say, or I'm going to write it out. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think asking your, you know, any ND affirming and positive and supportive community that you're a part of, like, does anyone have recommendations of providers who are ND affirming? Because I think that's another way, because Megan, if you're saying, I really enjoyed this hygienist, this person was really supportive. I imagine if someone was to ask about that, you would be the first person to be like, definitely see this person. Like yeah, this person will make yeah. you feel comfortable. We're yeah. going to talk within our communities. And I think just having that ripple effect of sharing positive experiences is also really helpful. Yeah. I've been saying, I don't think I'll actually do this. I don't think I have the spoons for it, but maybe one of our listeners wants to take this project on. I've been saying for like a year, I really want to make like a neurodivergent directory for like everything. Right. So I, um, I think a year ago I went and did, got my hair done for the first time in three years. Cause it was so long. And again, like I, these are things I don't like. So I, I went on, the website of the place I was going to go. And I was like, who looks the most neurodivergent <laughs> And I put someone with purple hair and like spunky. And I was like her, and I went to her and, and she was, and it was, and it's amazing. Um, and just how much of a difference that made having a neurodivergent hairdresser, um, like it has been so impactful. I think if we could make neurodivergent directories at like group sync, um, I just think that would be so, so resourceful. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I mean, right? if any of you want to take that on as a, as a startup or a, a project, um, when Megan and I have the spoons and capacity, we can help add to it. But like, I think if people just were able to do that, you know, where we had some sort of resource and I know it's hard geographically, but like just location wise, and I'm lucky, like I, and you are too. I mean, we live in areas of the country where, the cities are probably a bit more progressive than other areas of the country. So we're going to have more providers who are more holistic. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely a privilege for us to have the ability to say, like, I have, there are multiple providers we can contact for this, for this one thing. Mm -hmm. I also think being mental health professionals, people are more inclined to listen to our feedback um, yeah. than if, if someone's not. So I think, I know that's also a struggle as well in terms of advocacy in, in the medical space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this topic of self-advocacy in medical spaces, like I actually, it's on my, it's on my wish list of workbooks to make someday sure. because it's such an important topic. And like, I, it's, I think it's such an area of 
a struggle for so many of us. And there are some really practical steps of like, okay, this can help me think through how I want to seek out medical care or organize the visit or yeah. Just the little things. Like if you can, if you can do some of these little things that we're suggesting prior to a visit, I think it can alleviate just a little bit of anxiety. It may not completely remove that, that sensation or emotion or experience, but I do think that it can at least allow for things to feel more manageable when things can feel really overwhelming when you're, when you're starting a new, with a new provider or doing a follow-up or concerned about something that's happening and, and you don't really know if you're going to have enough time with this person. So I, I do think these, these strategies can help quite a bit. Yep. Yep. Are we, are we at the point? I don't know. I'm reading you right now and I feel like you're maybe you're at the point. Or you're at the transition point. Which one would you? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are a few other things in my head I tagged of like that's that could be an interesting story, but like I, it feel it feels like we're and whatever that conversation was like I guess self advocacy and medical office. It feels like we're done with that conversation. I don't know if that means we're done with the podcast for today, or if it just means we'll transition to another <laughs> similarly related topic. I love that this is our experience. Like this is this is really how this goes. <laughs> and so many of you have mentioned that you really enjoy this aspect of the podcast. So mm-hmm. we want to keep that feeling as natural and awkward and uncomfortable as possible for everybody involved, including ourselves. I do think we're done with the self-advocacy component of this conversation. I do think we can transition elsewhere. Um, I'm, I'm always tracking time, as I've mentioned before. And... It is about 15 minutes from your next appointment. So we can do something else in the next five if something's pressing on your mind. Um, well, this, this is an association. It's not, it's not about healthcare, but it, it was an interesting realization. So I've been listening to our podcast back and I hear my awkwardness and I hear my misspeaks. Oh, I should add this because I felt so... This was my one misspeak that I was like, okay these kind of misspeaks bug me last week. Well, the show that aired last week, um, I, with the one with the one after Thomas, um, we're talking about group dynamics. I said, I used to exercise three to four hours a day, which like, that's what, that is an exercise disorder. It was three to four hours a week, but it's a day. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, like, I need to like go back through and like add bloopers of like, this is what, this is what I actually meant. Um, anyways, that aside, like aside when I make like mistakes like that, I actually have loved my awkwardness, which is really interesting because I think I used to be so nitpicky of my awkwardness. Like I would, if I was doing a presentation, I'd record myself, I'd watch it. I'd figure out how to like, how to make that smoother. And I genuinely, when I'm listening back to our podcast and I hear me being awkward or I hear me misspeak, unless I'm indicating I have an exercise disorder, I smile and I enjoy it and it brings me delight. Um, Yeah. I love that because, you know, when we first started this and, and kind of pitched each other the idea, I think that was a concern for you. Like, how am I going to come across and how am I going to embrace my, my authentic just mm-hmm. experience and personality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like a lot of ADHDers and autistic people, like I've got pretty gnarly RSD, like projection sensitivity. So putting myself out, out here in this way, um, I definitely was scared about, and I, I do realize that 
like in being able to celebrate my awkwardness, it, A, it made me realize how much I have integrated my autistic identity and, and I have worked through a lot of my ableism. Um, and it makes it, I've, I've realized that actually really helps with RSD, um, in, in other ways, like, and I mean, there's other places in my life where the RSD is still really active, but around my awkwardness, it, it's not, um, nearly as much. I love that. And I also love how this right now, like just processing out loud is probably going to lead to an episode because I think we definitely need to do an episode on RSD. Well, and this is why my workbooks go from 30 pages to 130 pages. It's the divergent, like, and the combination of ADHD and autism, right? So it's like, oh, this connects to this. Oh, but I have to go really deep into this. Right. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. I love it. Um, Yeah, I think that there, the, the the RSD topic is is a is a crucial one and one that we should definitely do an episode on and we could we could do a series on from people's experiences too. I mean, stuff is so painful and so so um, there's so much vulnerability there, and I'm glad that you feel comfortable with yeah. your awkwardness on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should definitely talk about RSD. Um, I've actually got some content planned for it next year, so that'll I'll be deep into that that research, which will be fun. We'll do yeah, a little behind the scenes of like Megan's life every every week of like what is Megan planning right now? What is what's, what's Megan's deep dive? Yeah, because I guess it is my like whatever my deep dive is for that month, it's kind of my lens. Mm-hmm. Like because I'm spending so much time with it, it becomes my lens for seeing the world. Um, which is, I mean, that's why it's the perfect business for me as an autistic ADHD. It's like a new deep immersive ecosystem, but they're all connected, but they're different enough that I don't get bored. Right. Um, so if I could just learn to not like write a 130 workbook page every month and like tone it down, then this is a perfect business model for me. It sounds like good goals for the foreseeable future to try to figure out a way to uh, satiate all parts of you to, to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good topic for sure. And I think embracing our awkwardness is, is another form of advocacy in some capacities. Like if we can be okay being awkward in public spaces and okay with some of our, um, our trying to think of how I'm trying to say what I'm saying. (laughs) I'm feeling awkward right now. I was just Um, saying you're embodying the thing you're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think if we could just highlight that and just be like, this is how we experience life, right? That's the point of this podcast sometimes is like live processing Mm -hmm. of, acknowledging like this is how we go through life and when we have to mask or when we have to really shift those behaviors or interactions or or the ways we show up it it doesn't feel authentic for us and it also feels painful and it also feels exhausting so i think the more we can do this the more we can you know embody just actual real sense of self then i think that's a a really powerful thing Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to talk about RSD for the last 30 seconds, I check our obsessively check our podcast reviews on Apple podcast, like almost every day. I don't know why it's just something I've always done. I do it with my other podcasts too. We got our first like one star review, but there's no comments. And I, I just want to know like what, why it's like when you look at a restaurant and it's like all five stars Um, and then there's just one person who's like one star. I want to know. I just want to know. You want context um, for it. Totally. Yeah, context. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, really? that's, that hurts a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I that's mean, the, that's just the reality. Yeah. 
And I, I could see why we're not for everyone, right? Like for one, anyone who's not in the neurodivergent affirming space. Yep. I, I could see having totally. reactions to us. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know, maybe not everyone loves listening to two rambling <laughs> people. Have- all I can say is that I love all of you who are listening and supporting and consistently tuning in and consistently offering feedback, whether it's constructive, positive, whatever, that's what we want. We want feedback. So if you have it, if you have topics that you want us to cover, if you have things you just want to share, check out our Instagram page, Divergent Conversations. You can post comments, you can post, you can send uh, messages, whether or not we respond to those messages. That's a different story. Trying to... uh, (laughs) limit the pings and pongs as Megan would say, but we do want feedback and we, we really do value um, your questions and your, your, your um, thoughts as well. And we appreciate the fact that like in less than two months, there are 30,000 of you listening and that feels amazing. And I think that there feels like there's a, a trickle down effect from just having these conversations and sharing these episodes and, and Megan and I just showing up as authentically and vulnerably as we can. And that felt good. Goodbye. Now I'll never know. Awkward. (laughs) Okay. Um, Losing my voice. So saying goodbye is going to be fun to um, everyone who listens to this podcast, to diverging conversations. There are new episodes out every single Friday on all major platforms and YouTube. You can like download, subscribe and share, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. And now, pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist, to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing, some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up.